We're going to resume this morning our meditations on the person of God, on his attributes, on his glory, in the book of Exodus and in the 33rd and the 34th chapters. So let me invite you to turn there with me now once more. Exodus chapter 33. And we'll begin our reading today in verse 12. Exodus 33, 12 through 34, verse 9. The Israelites are near the beginning of their wilderness journey, and as Moses prepares to lead them forth, the following conversation ensues between the prophet and his God. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now the Lord said to Moses, cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. So be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took two stone tablets in his hand. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Moses made haste 
to bow low toward the earth and worship. He said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your own possession. Father, Moses prayed that you would go along with your people in those days in the wilderness, and we pray that you would go along with us in the wilderness of this earthly life, and that you would go along with us in these next moments together. Guide our thoughts, guide my thoughts as I open your word again to your people, and encourage us, speak to us, remind us of your great mercy toward us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we considered that statement in verse 20, which is at one and the same time both startling and glorious. You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. No man can see me and live. And we talked about the holiness of God. That he is so different to us, so transcendent, so magnificently other, that a straight-on sighting of him would literally overpower us to the point of death. God is like a solar eclipse that cannot be looked at directly without bringing grave danger to the person doing the looking. You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. And yet... We also saw that though we are unable to look at him straight on, God does desire that we see him in the ways that we are able. Though we cannot see him fully, God does desire that we should see him truly. And he makes provision in this passage for Moses to do just that, placing him in a safe place, tucking him into the cleft of a rock, into a crevice, we would call it, that will both shield Moses from what he cannot handle and at the same time leave a vantage point, an opening in the rock from which Moses can see that in God which he can handle. And I want us to go inside that crevice this morning. I want us to sit a while with Moses in the cleft of the rock and allow it to teach us something about the greatness of our God. So go with me again here to verses 19 through 23, to the cleft of the rock, and let us seek to see in God what Moses saw in him from that ancient vantage point. I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen." Now, what do we see there? What do we see in God from this vantage point inside the cleft of the rock? Or to put it another way, what does the fact of God's placing Moses inside that safe place tell us 
about our God. Well, I submit to you that the theme here is the same one that we began singing about this morning, namely God's mercy. His mercy, His kindness, His grace is what we see, His compassion from inside the cleft of the rock. And we see His mercy in two very important ways that I want you not to miss. First of all, let me say to you that it was a mercy that God answered Moses' request at all. Do you remember that it was at Moses' request that this great display of God's glory took place? Remember how Moses said it in verse 18, Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Now that was a marvelous request, a noble request. It was marvelous for Moses to make it, and it's a marvelous thing when we have the same heartbeat and when we make the same request. But what I'm saying to you now is that marvelous and noble as that request is, you need to remember that it was a mercy that God granted it at all. In other words... There is nothing outside of himself that requires God to answer such a plea. God is not obligated to reveal himself to anyone, is he? Indeed, that's the import of what God says toward the end of verse 19. Moses has just asked God to show him his glory, and God has agreed in the first half of the verse to do so, but then he follows up that agreement by saying, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Now, why does God say that at this juncture? Why does he suddenly begin speaking about his prerogative to show grace and compassion to whom he wills? Well, he says it here to let Moses know that it is because of his grace and because of his compassion that he's answering the request in the first part of the verse. It's an overflow of God's grace, of God's mercy that moves him to accede to Moses' request. God says that he'll make his goodness pass before him, and then he tells him, it's because I'm gracious that I'm going to do it. And grace, by definition, is not compulsory. And so God tells Moses that he will answer his request. He tells him that he will show him his glory But he follows up by saying that he's doing so out of grace, that it is not compulsory that he do it, because not even Moses deserved to see God's glory, for God is not required to show it to any of us. He does so not because he has to, but rather out of the overflow of his mercy. His grace, His kindness. And note from verse 19 that even that grace, that compassion are not compulsory either. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. God is God. He shows mercy to whom He desires to show mercy, and He shows His glory to whom He desires to show His glory. And that's important to remember. And not only so that we'll understand, as we said on Wednesday night, that we don't have God under our thumb, 
That God is not like a genie in a bottle required to move at our beck and call. But it's also important for us to see all of this, to see that God showed himself to Moses, not because he had to, but rather because he wanted to in his mercy, so that when God shows his glory to us, we will really appreciate it. A friend of mine in Florida recently put me on to a beach resort just a few minutes from his house and right on the beach that provides a certain number of free weeks vacations every year to pastors and their families. Pretty nice. And so I decided I should look into this and I was on their website in recent days and on the phone with the lady at the front desk finding out the details. And I'm sure that even if I were a paying customer, I would be really grateful for all that that lady Uh, that owner and her staff have prepared for their guests there on the white sands of Florida. I'm sure I would be grateful even if she was doing this because I was paying her for it because she was obligated to render a service to me because of something that I had given to her. But the fact that she's letting our family come for free, the fact that she doesn't have to let us come because we're paying her money to do so, but that she's simply allowing us to come out of her own mercy and compassion makes me all the more grateful. And so it should ever be with our God. We know that God is not obligated to save us. He's not obligated to bring us to heaven to forgive us our sins and so on. We know that we are saved by grace, but I submit to you that it is grace that God allows us to know anything of himself at all. It was a grace that he showed himself to Moses. Moses hadn't earned that privilege, and God was not required to grant it, but he did so. And he does so for us, not under compulsion, not under any obligation to us, but simply because he is kind and gracious, simply because he loves, in the words of Louis Giglio from last week, he loves to be found. And so I say to you that it was a mercy that God answered Moses' request at all. It was a grace that God put Moses inside that rock in the first place and that he passed by it at all and showed Moses his glory. I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Why? Because I am gracious to whom I will be gracious and I am compassionate on whom I will show compassion. But then in the second place, that rock was also a mercy, as we said earlier, in that it shielded Moses from what he couldn't see. You cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. So how is God going to answer Moses' plea? How is God going to show Moses his glory if he knows that a full-on sighting of it will be certain death to Moses? He wants to show Moses his glory. He loves to be found, and yet he cannot show Moses everything. And so what will he do? Well, there just happens to be a rock nearby. And that rock just happens to have a cleft, a gash in it, large enough for a grown man to stand inside. And God who formed that rock in Genesis chapter 1, and God who dug the cleft sometime in years gone by, and who placed that rock in just this spot, now brings 
his servant to just the spot that he has been planning all along, and he places him inside the rock to provide shelter from the glory that he can't handle and to provide a vantage point for the glory that he can. And what a mercy of God to shield Moses from his own glory, to protect him from that in himself which would have overpowered his servant, and to show him from the crevice only his back as he was passing by. And I submit to you that this is how God deals with you, and this is how God deals with me. He is merciful to show us all that we can handle and that we are willing to see, and yet he conceals from our view the full blaze of his glory. He places us in a safe place, in a cleft, as it were, so that we see him truly without seeing so much that we perish. Now, the idea is not that God is shielding from us any certain attributes of his own, any certain of his characteristics, so that we don't really know all the traits that make up his character. The idea, in other words, is not that when we arrive in heaven and know far more of God than we know now, that we'll discover some new thing about him that he'd never shown us before. Not at all. What we're saying is that God shields us, not from any one part of his character, but from the full magnitude of the whole. He shows us the whole in Scripture, but He shields us from the full magnitude of it so that what God shows us here is, in some ways, the full picture of Himself, just not in technicolor, not in HD, not in the full brightness of the sun. It's not as though there is a side of God like the dark side of the moon to which we're never privy in this life. It's rather that in seeing the whole God and seeing the true God, it's like looking at the sun directly, which always must be done through a filter or in a mirror dimly, as Paul puts it, so that our retinas are not burned up by the full brightness. And I say to you, this is a mercy. It is a mercy that God places us in the cleft of the rock or that he keeps us in eclipse glasses, to use a modern illustration, so that we see him, but not too much. God is a merciful God. He is a compassionate God. No one can see his face and live. No man can see his glory full on and survive. And no one has a claim on seeing his glory at all. And yet, he shows us his glory. And he does so in a way that we can handle. He places us in the cleft of the rock, as it were, and covers us with his hand. Think again about the angels in Isaiah 6. We talked about them last week. Why do they have six wings? Well, they have six wings for the same reason that the rock nearby where Moses was standing had a large gash in it. God designed the rock that way and God designed the angels with six wings so that they could shield their faces in his presence, so that they could see him truly without seeing him fully. And I remind you again that these angels were sinless. And I remind you that even if we were sinless, it would be a mercy that God allowed us to see him at all. And it would still be necessary for us to see him from inside the cleft of the rock, as it were. From inside the place of his merciful protection. And God has provided that for us. 
He gave the Israelites the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud which they could see. And he has given us his word and his son to whom that word consistently directs us. God is constantly making himself known to us as we read his word, as we hear it proclaimed, and as we fellowship with his son Jesus by these means. God is constantly showing us his glory and doing so in ways that we can handle. He is gracious, he is compassionate, and such gifts, such sightings of his glory would be mercy and grace and compassion even if we were sinless. Such sightings of his glory would be mercy even if we were sinless. God was merciful, in other words, even to Adam and Eve in the garden before they had sinned. Even in the garden, it was true what God says here at the end of verse 19. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. God made Adam and Eve. There was a covenant in place by where if they would obey his commandments, they would live. But they hadn't earned any of that, had they? If you read the book, Human Nature in Its Fourfold State by Thomas Boston. He just covers this marvelously that even though Adam could have lived forever by obeying God, he didn't earn the fact that God promised him that, did he? And he didn't earn the fact that he had the ability to obey God. All of it was mercy, and it was mercy that our first parents knew God at all, that he revealed himself to them at all, that he gave them glimpses of his glory even in the garden. It's true they hadn't yet done anything to cause God to hide his face from them, but neither had they as mere creatures done anything to make God behold and to show his face to them. God didn't have to walk with Adam and Eve. He didn't have to make himself known to them, but he did. He was merciful to them. And I submit to you that this mercy of God, that he shows himself to his people, is even all the more magnified when we consider the fall of Adam and Eve. When we consider the sin of Adam and Eve and the sins by which we have followed in their muddy footprints. If, in other words... It was mercy for God to have made himself known in the garden. And if it is mercy that shields the angels in heaven, how much more do we see the brightness and the depths of God's mercy against the backdrop of our sin? God was not required to show his glory even to sinless Adam. He did so sheerly out of the overflow of his grace and under no sense of obligation to the creature. And if God had no obligation to show himself to sinless man, how much less so to the rebels that we have become? Mankind in the garden could present no reason why God must show himself to them, but we have actually given God positive reason not to show himself to us. Indeed, we've given him reason to be angry with us. And yet, look at what we read over in chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Listen to what God said to Moses while he had him tucked away in the cleft of that rock. Listen to what he says as he comes and answers the request, Show me your glory. The Lord... The Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. 
Here is something more even than what we have already been saying. Here is God reminding us that his mercy extends not just to the revelation of himself to mere creatures who because they are creatures have no inherent claim upon him. But here is God reminding us that his mercy extends even to rebellious creatures, even to those creatures whose actions merit his anger, to those who commit iniquity, transgression, and sin. God's mercy reaches down even this far. Consider with me the depths of his mercy, to borrow words from Charles Wesley. We've been saying Because of how we see even the sinless angels covering their faces in God's presence in Isaiah 6, we've been saying that even if we were sinless, we'd still need to cover our faces or for God to cover our face in the presence of his glory. We'd still need him to hide us in the cleft of the rock as his glory passed by. But how much more now that we have fallen How much more now that we have earned God's righteous wrath? Even a full sighting of God in his kindness would undo us. But if he should bring us into his presence with all of our sin, not only would the mere sight of him undo us as creatures, but the righteous wrath of God would positively consume us as sinners. In other words, if we cannot stand before the goodness of God in our innocence in the garden, How much less can we stand before his anger against our sin? And make no mistake, God is angry about sin. God is a God of wrath. Both for the way sin harms other people who have been made in the likeness of God and for the way in which our sin gives the middle finger to himself who has made us, who has provided for us, who has loved us, and who has given us legitimate laws that are good for us and for his glory that we break. God hates sin and it is righteous for him to repay it in full. And if you want to see just how much God hates sin and just how torturous is its recompense, look to the cross of Calvary where he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Look at what God did to his son when once the sins of his people had been laid upon Jesus' head. When he had become the sin bearer. Look at what God did to his son. He was pierced through For our transgressions, Isaiah says. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Don't miss there that Isaiah says of the Messiah, the Lord was pleased to crush him. Now that doesn't mean that God crushed his son happily or with pleasure. It's not that sense of the word pleased. It's the sense of the word pleased that means God crushed his son decidedly. It wasn't done half-heartedly or with any second guessing. And notice that it was ultimately God who did the crushing. The Lord was pleased to crush him. So do you see what God thinks of sin and how he deals with sin? Even when the sin bearer was his own son, God did not withhold his wrath. And if he did not spare his own son when he bore our sins in his body on the cross, will he spare you? 
Will he spare me if we should choose by our unrepentance to continue bearing our own sins in our own bodies? God hates sin. And yet this isn't a sermon about God's hatred of sin. It's a sermon about the mercy of God who places people in the cleft of the rock so that they can see his glory without being destroyed. And I submit to you with the backdrop of sin in your mind that there is still a rock that has been cleft and cleft even for sinners like you this morning. There is a place where God hides sinners so that they may see his glory without being swallowed up by his wrath. It's the place we sang about on Wednesday night in the words of Augustus Top Lady, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin, the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Where is our rock? Where is the cleft in which God hides us? Where is it that he shields you from his wrath? In the wounds of Jesus. Inside the gashes that he made there. Inside the person of Christ. Under the blood of his own dear son. Into Christ, into his wounds, I may run and find both a shelter from God's overwhelming wrath and a vantage point from which to glimpse his glory. For from the clefts, from the gashes that opened in the flesh of the Son of God, flow the blood that made payment for all my sins. And you know, just like the cleft rock, In the days of Moses, God planned all of this long ago. Long ago in the days of eternity, he struck hands and covenant with his son so that he would come and be the rock for his people. And in time, God gashed that rock. He cleaved his son's flesh in order to create the hiding place for sinners like you and me. And today, like Moses in chapter 33, God has brought you to just the place that he had prepared so long ago. To just the spot where you may be shielded from his wrath. And where you may see, as in no other place, His glory. You don't have to build the shelter for yourself. You don't have to go looking for it. God in this sermon is bringing the shelter, bringing the rock, bringing the cleft to you. And it's in the person of Jesus. All you do is run in and hide yourself in Him. It's true what we read in verse 7. God will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. By no means. God hates sin and his justice against it must and will be satisfied. He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And yet if you will flee to Christ, if you will hide in the cleft of the rock, if you will trust in the Son of God who became guilty for you, then you need not remain among the guilty. In Christ, the verdict against us is changed. In Christ, we are acquitted because he became the guilty one and was condemned in our place. And therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those whom God places in the cleft of the rock. 
And so you must run to that place this morning. You must hide yourself in the wounds of Jesus. Even if you've done that before and you say, I'm already a Christian, you must go there again, day by day, pleading with God to place you and to keep you in the cleft of the rock. Because you are a sinner, aren't you? You failed God again, and so have I, even this week, even this morning. And so we cannot stand in his presence on our own. Not even for one moment can we sinners stand in the presence of our God, who is a consuming fire. And so we must flee to the rock, and we must plead God put us inside it, and we must pray with the hymn writer, Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. And what will you see when God places you there? We've been saying that the cleft of the rock was both a hiding place where Moses could be sheltered from that in God which he couldn't handle, but that it was also a vantage point from which he might see that in God which he could. And the wounds of Jesus are the same kind of cleft. In them, yes, we hide from the wrath of God, and yet from the vantage point of that hiding place, we see that in God which we are able to. To see. And what do we see when we hide ourselves in Christ? Well, we see the Lord passing by in front of us and proclaiming in our ears, verses 6 and 7, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Do you understand? When we hide ourselves in Christ, we don't just escape God's wrath, wonderful as that is, but we also feast our eyes on the glories of His mercy, of His grace, of His compassion. It is from within the hiding place of Christ's wounds, in other words, that God answers that marvelous prayer of verse 18 Show me your glory. And so this is God's word to us this morning. Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see. Father, help us to see In this passage, your self-existence that we saw two weeks ago, your holiness last week, and your mercy today. Gracious and compassionate. Angry at sin and yet slow to anger. Hiding your people in the wounds of your Son. Give us eyes to see your mercy and to rejoice in it now as we come to your table. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.